What's up, guys? How are you all doing? So, gonna be uh, talking about um, a lot of things. First up, a woman who talks about deleting kids. Let's get into that. Hard Talk Radio, live in 4K. Here we go. So I'm not playing that much, but you know, you get the 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 drip, the gist of it all, alright? This woman talking about Deleting kids, all right? A lot of these rappers don't understand how powerful they are to children, young teens who are at risk, all right? Especially those, you know, at risk in the five boroughs, okay? In the burbs, you know, they got parents, most of them. They got parents that will set them straight, okay? And you think this is the way to go, all right? Um, aborting kids that you chose to have, and like that's the way of life. And they don't think about the psychological and physical effects of deleting kids, okay? The fact that your body may not be able to have kids later on, the mental issues, mental health, it damages your mental health, and women may end up deleting themselves in the process okay that's what they don't talk about alright but uh it, it's sad that it's paraded in the black community that this is something to talk about that this is something that is some, that is a badge of honor that it's okay and then these women wonder why where are all the good black men gone because you deleted them all you aborted them all that's what happened but then again some of you all are not good women anyway because of the way you think not all but the ones who carry on with this uh, city girl hot girl summer mentality and it's okay to just delete kids left and right just because you chose to have sex when you're not stable or the fact that you had it with a man that you know was not father material and it's perfectly okay alright that's the issue here but I'll get called a coon you know a sellout but th this is this is the reality okay Unfortunately, we see how badly rap is going down the tubes. Hip-hop is going down the tubes. And you will have females saying that this is, this is a cool song to talk about. They don't even talk about how the fact that some women, you know, end up being expired on the table by deleting a child. Oh, they won't talk about that either. 
You can look it up. A lot of them don't survive. All right. Let's get into the next one. Okay. And, um... <laughs> this is uh, pretty much a... Uh, what could I say? I don't know if I could say it's hilarious, but... It was coming. Alright, that's all I could say. It was coming. That's what I could tell you. Because it's, it's a lot... To, um... I can see the chickens are coming home to roost. And many in the uh, alphabet sector are tired of it. But let's talk about it. Okay, let's get into it. Get a pass when you're through. That sounds like a threat. We're human beings, not sex organs, just lesbians. I'm talking to you. <laughs> okay. So, if you don't know by now, there's a big war between uh, trans women and Thespians. Okay, let's put it that way. Thespians. Alright. And they don't <laughs> they don't want to date um, women with nuts. They don't want to date women with nuts and a wee-wee. They don't want to do that. And why would they? Because if they did, that would be a heterosexual relationship. Why would they do that? Doesn't make any sense at all. And a lot of them, you know, are getting mad over that. It's kind of like, you know, you got to respect that. They don't want to do that. But they end up uh, not really wanting to accept that. And there are cases of grape. There are grape cases. All right. And it's uh, it's very ugly. 
and a lot of these, you know, the thespians, they too scared to report it because they'll be called TERFs, but a lot of them are not caring anymore. Because they want the right to date who they feel is right for them, and thespians want to date uh, women, actual women. Okay? That's what they want to do. So, here's a story I'll read about. Here we go. Alright. So, Charity Watchdog in talks with anti-transformer LGB alliance after hateful bestiality tweet. Okay. The Government Charity Commission is engaging with the LGB Alliance after it breached Twitter rules by comparing the LGBT to inclusion to BCLE. The anti-transformer group gained charitable status earlier this year in spite of the fierce objection from multiple alphabet charities plus charities and a petition signed by more than 44,000 people. Further concerns were raised last week with the LGB Alliance posted a tweet that violated Twitter's policy on hateful contact. So they can't even, I mean, they can't even be honest that, look, we don't want to deal with the Transformer crowd. Alright? That's not, that has nothing to do with us, okay? And they're just now admitting that. Okay? They don't want to deal with that. Because it's not of them. It's different factors. One is a dysphoria. The other is like a lifestyle that they want. Okay? It read, adding the plus to LGB gives the green light to paraph paraphilias like BCL and more. To all, to all be part of one big happy family, rainbow family, wake up policymakers. LGB people refuse to be used in an artificial, dangerous argument that we all must be lumped together not to um, homophobia. The LGBT acronym is used to describe all people who fall under the queer umbrella, including the intersex, asexual, and aromantic communities. The LGB Alliance's offensive tweet has since been deleted, and it's in, and in its place, a message that says, this tweet is no longer available because it violated Twitter rules. So you're trying to force people to be in a group that they don't want to be in, but I guess they're having their own, the taste of their own medicine. Because for years you've been putting that same energy on cisgendered people. And we didn't like it. <clears throat> Charity Commission, the official regulating body for charities in England and Wales, said it was aware of the issue and is now in talks with the LGB Alliance. The spokesperson said, we are aware of the concerns about the recent social media activity by the LGB Alliance are engaging with charities trustees on this matter. We cannot comment further at this time. Bev Jackson, the co-founder of the LGB Alliance, told the civil society, it's never our intention to cause offense, but to robustly speak about speak out on issues of concern to the LGB people. 
We believe in free speech and respectful, respectful debate and take our responsibilities as a charity very seriously. To maintain its charity status, the LGB Alliance must abide by the Charities Act 2011 and the Charities Protection and Social Investment Act of 2016. The Charity Commission may issue an official warning if it feels the charity has comment, committed a form of misconduct, management, or breach of trust. Okay. So they have to, they're going to have to try and get away from them then. That's what they're going to have to do. Alright. The LGB Alliance claimed to the Charity Commission that its purposes are to the protection of human rights and the promotion of equality for the LGB people. But in March 2020 speech, LGB Alliance Director Bev Jackson said, We are applying for charitable status and building an organization to challenge the dominance of those who promote the damaging theory of gender identity. The Charity Commission's decision to register the LGB Alliance as an official charity is now subject to appeal, lodged by the Trans Children's Charity Mermaids. The crowdfunded appeal is backed by the Good Law Project, Gendered Intelligence, Transactional Law, LGBT Consort Plus Consortium, and LGBT Foundation. A fundraising page is open in June and has so far raised nearly 65000 against the, targeted, the target of 80000 Um... $80,000. Charitable status is for those who serve the public good, said Jalen Mognan, director of the Good Law Project. Degenerating trans people attacking those who speak for them and campaigning to remove legal protections from them is the very opposite of a public good. We do not believe they meet the threshold test to be registered as a charity. Their legal challenge has been filed with the charitable tribunal and a case management hearing is expected to take place in early September. Hateful bestiality tweets. So basically because they don't want to be okay with people who want to sleep. They're not okay with people who want to sleep with animals. Okay, that's hateful. Hey, they created this monster. They gotta deal with it though. They made this bed, they gotta they gotta deal with it. Okay? I mean these uh you know the thespians, the lesbians, they they created this monster. Alright? You allow these people into your ranks. And now the chickens come home to roost. They want to date, because now they say they're trans women, they want to date actual women. But that doesn't make any sense. But you allow, but it didn't make any sense to allow them into your camp to begin with because um, the chromosome says otherwise who they really are. And now you guys have to deal with that. Okay. But hey, that's, that's the Frankenstein monster that you guys created. Sad to say. That's basically how the cookie crumbles, really. Hold on one second. There's something I wanted to show you guys. dealing with now see <laughs> this is what they're dealing with <laughs> they brought this on themselves though you shouldn't have added these people in there see what they what the lesbians don't like sees what the see how the 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 uh the transform brigade how they're calling how they treat them now okay 
Hey man, that's what they that's what they wanted. That is what they wanted. Because now they're showing, right now they have a, uh, let me see if I can still look it up. I can still find it. Because now the, the, the public school system now, the teachers that are part of the, uh, the alphabet brigade, they are trying to introduce and doc you know bring pornography into elementary schools now that's what they're trying to do it's crazy I'm trying to find the article right now because I had it here Play that back. We can promote a shame-free educational space by letting young people know that it's okay if they are curious. It's okay if they have watched porn, and it's okay if they have thought about porn. I always make sure to say someone being curious about sex and or porn does not make them a bad person. It makes them human. It's so important we normalize that this is a... Look, it makes you a... Look, porn is... Look, porn is damaging. It's the reason why men are so weak in our society and women are so degenerate. Okay? I'm going to say it again. Porn is evil. It's the reason why, all right, men are weak, are simps, and women are degenerates. Okay? And it gives women a false sense of power. 
a false sense of empowerment. There are so many women now that are leaving their good jobs to be on OnlyFans. There's nothing good about porn. Okay? Nothing. And to be honest with you, I've I will find the article one day to find out how the to show you that um, the military uses porn to weaken nations. I'll find it one day and I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll bring it up. Okay, that's what I'll do. But I just want to play this back one more time because this was crazy. You thought the the Disney workers were bad. This I don't even know how to rate this. This is just rated E for evil. We can promote a shame-free educational space by letting young people know that it's okay if they are curious. It's okay if they have watched porn, and it's okay if they have thought about porn. I always make sure to say someone being curious about sex and or porn does not make them a bad person. It makes them human. It's so important we normalize that this is a natural human experience. And I also want to point, uh, make a point to share that not wanting to watch porn is also completely fine. There is no judgment and shame for not being curious. That's okay, too. And we want to create environments in the classroom where students don't shame each other. So as an educator, my job is to provide information about sexual health and have students critically think by exploring all sides of an issue. Critical thinking skills are the largest component of porn literacy. It's the ability for young people to analyze and ask questions about the media that they're viewing. Critical thinking skills allow young people to understand the intention behind pornography. So much of sex education is reflecting on our values and beliefs in relation to a topic, and porn literacy is no exception. For facilitators, it's first important... Porn literacy. Like, porn is literature. ...for them to reflect on their reasons for wanting to teach porn literacy. Do they want to teach porn literacy because they believe watching porn and by extension sex work is inherently bad and they want to stop young people from accessing it? That's unfortunately not going to lead to good conversations because it's pushing one agenda. I can't believe women are... That has to be a trans man. I, I don't understand how they could think that's a good thing. Sex work... I, I knew these people were onto this. They're all together. It's just one big umbrella. Let's, this. Let's see if this is part two. They're curious. It's okay if they have watched porn, and it's okay if they have thought about porn. I always make sure to say someone being curious about sex and or porn does not make them a bad person. It makes them human. It's so important we normalize that this is a natural human experience. And I also want to point, uh, make a point to share that not wanting to watch porn is also completely fine. There is no judgment and shame for not being curious. That's okay, too. And we want to create environments in the classroom where students don't shame each other. So as an educator, my job is to provide information about sexual health and have students critically think by exploring all sides of an issue. Critical thinking skills are the largest component of porn literacy. It's the ability for young people to analyze and ask questions about the media that they're viewing. Critical thinking skills allow young people to understand the intention behind pornography. So much of sex education is reflecting on our values and beliefs in relation to a topic, and porn literacy is no exception. For facilitators, it's first important for them to reflect on their reasons for wanting to teach porn literacy. Do they want to teach porn literacy because they believe watching porn and by extension sex work is inherently bad and they want to stop young people from accessing it? That's unfortunately not going to lead to good conversations because it's pushing one agenda. Not 
going to lead to good conversations. A person wanting to have morals, wanting to not poison their minds with evil is not going to lead to good healthy conversations. That is crazy. That that's insane. I don't I, I don't know what to say, man. That that is just completely um Immoral. Insane. That's what I'd say. A lot of these people I'm wondering what is their mental state? How did they get the positions they got? Who's paying them? That's what I like to know. Who is paying them? I like to know that too, because you gotta be paid to do this type of nonsense. To just say the immoral crap that's coming out of your mouth. That you know, you, you have to have no soul to say that stuff. Anyway, let's get into what this New York governor states as a, a disaster emergency. Let's get into that. Meanwhile, New York has declared a state of emergency over the spread of the polio infections. And this is being done in order to try and cut down the number of infections that have been witnessed in the state in recent weeks. It's also trying to boost vaccination rates in the state amidst further evidence that the virus is now spreading across the state. The polio virus has been detected in sewage samples from four different counties in New York and also in, in the metro area besides the city itself. The counties happen to be Rockland, Orange, Sullivan and Nassau area. And according to authorities, the wastewater samples from these areas have tested positive for paralytic polio, a polio virus that can cause paralysis in humans. The state authorities began wastewater surveillance in the month of July after an unvaccinated adult called, caught polio in Rockland County and suffered from paralysis. But this was the first known instance of the polio infection in a country nearly in a span of a decade. The State Health Department has said that it aims to boost the immunization rates from the current statewide average of just about 79% to almost 90%. The emergency order issued on Friday by Governor Kathy Hochul is the state's third this year. Earlier, the state authorities had issued similar orders to contain the coronavirus and monkeypox outbreak in the state. The declaration of such an order allows emergency medical workers, midwives and pharmacists to join the network of providers who can roll out the polio vaccine to the public. The polio was largely eradicated from the United States by vaccinations that began way back in 1955. There is no cure for polio as of now, but the vaccine program has been very effective, not just in the United States, but indeed around the world. In pretty much the whole world, the polio virus has been eradicated through a very intense program of vaccinating young children, and the virus mainly affects children, and it typically causes muscle weakness and paralysis. In some very serious cases, it also causes permanent disability and can even lead to death. An 
inactivated polio vaccine is used in both the United States and the United Kingdom as part of the child immunization program. Although some states have very high rates of vaccinations, some areas in the United States interestingly fall behind the national average and this has now become a serious cause of concern, especially in the aftermath of polio infections that have now been reported in the state of New York. I don't know, man. I don't know. That seems like, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to say much about that, but you tell me what you think about that. What do you think about the New York governor giving this, uh, mandate about this? Okay. What are your thoughts about that? What do you think? Let me know in the comment section. All right. Now we're going to go on with this story of a irresponsible single mother. That's how I, I don't know what to say, man. I don't. This story hurts. You have a lot of women just doing irresponsible stuff, whether it's leaving their kid with a pervert or a man that they have not fully vetted and they end up harming their children, or you're just leaving kids in their, you know, in their cars in extremely hot weather. Women are just making horrible choices when it comes to take, how to take care of their kids. Okay. Three-month-old baby girl died days after hitting the windshield and suspected DUI crash when her mom veered into a road sign. Alright. The incident happened on August 28th, but the baby did not die until August 31st. The death is thought to have been caused by a, a DUI crash in North Las Vegas. Both the victim and the one-year-old child were unrestrained in the car. The mother, who fled the scene, reportedly smelled of alcohol and said she might have fallen asleep while driving around 6.30 a.m. A three-month-old baby died after hitting the windshield when her mother veered into a road sign in a suspected DUI crash in Las Vegas. The victim, identified as Inanya Alston, was unrestrained in the front car seat at the time of the crash on Sunday, August 28th. But she did not die from her injuries until August 31st. The crash occurred just before 6.30 a.m. at Camino Al Norte and Edna Crane Avenue. According to the court documents, when Kazia Dillon, 24, smashed her car into the Las Palmares neighborhood sign at Edna Lane. A one-year-old child also in the car who was also not fastened is thought to have been seriously injured. A preliminary police investigation indicated that the 2012 price of 200 traveling north failed to maintain our travel lane, leaving the roadway and striking the sign. Police said Dylan then fled the scene with her two injured children, although they were eventually tracked down. She's, she's at fault here. She's definitely at fault. It's nobody's fault but herself. Okay, I don't want to hear nothing about the baby daddy. 
No nonsense like that. You chose you chose to get behind the wheel and you have kids. Drunk. Don't want to hear it. You chose that man. Okay? And women it, women take the take the brunt when these situations go wrong cuz they're stuck with the kids. So this is why men will say you have to choose better. Because you're going to be stuck with that kid if things go south or kids. The mother and children were taken to the UMC trauma where the babies were treated with critical injuries. Dylan had non-life-threatening injuries. Yesterday, police confirmed that the youngest child, Nyanya, had died of her injuries. Rest in peace. I know you're in heaven. Dylan from North Las Vegas is facing a litany of charges, including felony DUI, child abuse or neglect, failure to stay at the scene, failure to decrease speed or use due care, failure to maintain a lane, driving without a license, proof I'm sorry, no proof of insurance and failure to wear a safety belt. The mother told police that she had done a short a short or two of Hennessy near midnight before she had gone up to pick up her kids. She said she had been working double shifts and she thinks she fell asleep as she drove, according to her arrest report. No excuse. You could have taken off, taken the day off from your, both of your jobs, get rest, and pick up your kids. The arrested police said that she smelled of alcohol. It's not clear of Dylan... If Dylan has been charged for the death of her daughter, Inanya, she needs to be charged. No excuses for that. None. None at all. Just very disturbing, very disgusting. Alright? Next story, next story. Who we got here? Yep. We're going to be talking about this mother from Coney Island who has done the unthinkable. Let's get into that story. Let's get into that. People want to get mad at me. Oh, you're, you're picking on women. No, I'm not. It's just accountability. I don't know why that's so hard. When a man deletes his kids, we call him a punk and a coward. When a woman deletes his, delete her kids, all of a sudden we have to have sympathy in the violin. I don't think so. Equality, right? Now to a family tragedy in Brooklyn. Police believe a mother may have drowned her three young children. All of them were under the age of seven. See, Mr. Scalia Perez is live in Coney Island where the family lived. Scalia. Mary and Maurice, neighbors tell us that the family lived in the building. You see her behind me. The oldest child went to PS 188, which is directly across the street, and the two youngest children went to a daycare also nearby. Everyone we spoke with today just devastated learning about this tragedy. They always see me at the time as coach, 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 coach. So to not him say coach today is kind of heartbreaking. Alfred Brown says he's trying to hold it together after learning about the death of one of his players on the city Silverbacks football team. Brown says the boy last played on the team in the spring of 21. I got to give him this trophy the last day of school last year. Today, the... 
woman believed to be the child's mother was placed into an ambulance behind this white sheet by police after being questioned at the 60th precinct. Police say they were called to the family's Neptune Avenue building at about 1.40 a.m. by the mother's sister, who is concerned that the mom might harm her children, a seven-year-old boy, four-year-old girl, and three-month-old baby girl. When they arrived, one of the children's fathers, who was also concerned, directed them to the beach a half a mile away. The search continued for approximately 90 minutes until the officers, in response to an additional 911 call, were directed to Brighton 6th Street and Regalman Boardwalk. That's where they say they found the 30-year-old mom barefoot and wearing wet clothes. Police say she was with relatives, but not the children. When police located all three children two miles away, it was too late. The officers immediately initiated life-saving measures, including CPR, on the children, and they were rushed to Coney Island Hospital, where they were regrettably pronounced deceased. Dimitri Volper lives on the same floor as the family and says he frequently saw them. The innocent kids, you know, what, what, what is the fault of them? And neighbors, as you just heard, just trying to wrap their heads around this. Police tell us that it appears the family has never had any contact with ACS, and they also tell us that charges against the mom are pending. Live in Coney Island, Thalia Perez, CBS 2 News. Okay. I don't know what to say about that one. That's that's a tough one. It really is because as I was reading a newspaper about it, it's just like she's just one of those stories that you know um, fell through the cracks when it came to ACS. Okay, she had mental health issues. Okay, that's another thing too. That's what they're not telling you. Okay. They're going to go all the way into that. Brooklyn mom charged with drowning her three young children in Coney Island is not mentally stable enough to handle the arraignment on murder charges, the Brooklyn district attorney said Thursday. Aaron Merdy, 30, has been hospitalized at NYU Langone Brooklyn Psychiatric Ward since Monday morning and is not yet medically cleared to face murder charges the NYPD hit her with on Wednesday. DA Eric Gonzalez said outside a wake for the two of the children. She's not medically cleared for an arraignment. She can't be arraigned either, either in person or beside. Gonzalez told the post outside of the Carib Funeral Home in Flatlands where an afternoon open casket wake was held for Zachary Murdy 7 and Liana Stephen 4. Okay, so she had kids by multiple she had kids by different men she's not free to leave the hospital she's not clear for visitors she's still medically contained the next step will probably be presentation of evidence to the grand jury as always noted prosecutors have 180 hours to present murray's case to the grand jury and secure an indictment if grand jurors vote to indict murdy she could be arraigned next week or following in following in brooklyn supreme court where she would be present to face the charges Gonzalez said the borough's top prosecutor called the Monday tragedy, a heartbreaking incident, and said he attended the week to pay his respects to the family. Today, it was important for me to come out here as a father and a parent and fellow resident of the county to express my condolences to the family, he said. Heartbroken relatives and loved ones gathered at the funeral home to remember 
the two slain kids, but the mourners, some of whom were seen praying around the kids' coffins, refused to speak about the horror and acts of privacy. Little Zachary's father, Derek Murdy, was spotted holding hands with a cluster of people in a circle. My youngest child, three-month-old Oliver Bondara, who was allegedly drowned by his mother, was not present. Details about his wake and funeral were not immediately clear. All three of the children have different fathers. Knew it. Early Monday morning, Murdy Mer left her Neptune Avenue apartment with her three children, walked them down the sand, allegedly drowned them in the surf, law enforcement sources told. When cops later found her two miles away near the Brighton Broadwalk, she was barefoot, soaking wet, and tracing through the sand in a bathroom. Relatives said prior to the incident, she had been acting erratically and appeared delirious. They told police she suffered from mental health issues and may have been dealing with the postpartum depression following the birth of her son, Oliver. My thing is this, okay? You guys knew she was this way, but you did nothing. You know she had mental health issues. Why didn't you do anything? I'm sorry, but it's always these... It's always... It's always these black ghetto families. I'm sorry. That's how it is. That is how it is. And they all, and she all had kids by three different men. I'm not trying to be mean, but you, you have to understand the, these type of situations. It's a pattern. And she, I wonder if ACS knew she had mental health issues. Murdy had last had at least two reports of negligent filed against her with the city administration for child services for failing to bring the kids to school but the deposition of the reports is unclear law enforcement sources said previously someone in acs wasn't doing their job zachary's father told the new york times his son was often dirty and hungry when he showed up to her mandatory custody visits why didn't you do anything about it he told the outlet he reported the mom to child protective services and attempted to get full custody of their son to no avail it's not clear to which agency the father reported the mother. Like I said, they're always telling you, oh, you go get your kids, go get your kids. But in some states, especially blue states, they won't let you have those kids. And I think it's money. You follow the money, that's how it is. That is how it is. You follow the money, and that is why they don't give these kids to the fathers. Especially when you see the mother. It's a clear danger to those kids. They don't do that. They don't. Next story. Sue ACS. The fathers of Sue ACS. That's how I see it. Get this one now. Sad story about a Philadelphia rec worker, rec center worker. Let's get into this one.
husband and a child both caught in the crossfire of two separate shootings tonight in Philadelphia. That woman did not survive. Friday night, Gray and Shari are off. I'm Walter Perez. The big story in Action News is gun violence this evening that sent 12-year-old to the hospital while taking the life of an employee at a local recreation center. While the incidents are unrelated, both victims were innocent bystanders. Action News reporter Bob Brooks live outside Penn Pres Presbyterian Hospital where we learn new information tonight about the employee. Bob. Walter, what a tragic night for the city of Philadelphia. Again, two innocent people shot. One of them, a 41-year-old mother, has been pronounced dead. That rec center employee, she's been identified as Tiffany Fletcher. She leaves behind three sons. And according to police, the reason why she's dead tonight was a shootout amongst teenagers. The scene was the Mill Creek Rec Center in West Philadelphia. What's supposed to be a safe haven for all turned into the site of a deadly midday shootout that's taken the life of a beloved 41-year-old employee there. She's been identified as Tiffany Fletcher, and those who know her are devastated. An innocent bystander got shot, which is one of ours. You know, it's hurtful. Hurtful feel. We got to do something with these kids. Always mind her business, looked out for the children in the neighborhood. I got her. Great mom, good person. Police say around 1.30 this afternoon, a gun battle between two groups erupted outside the rec center. Those around there say Fletcher, a mother who leaves behind three boys, was simply sitting outside of the center taking a break. She was caught in the crossfire. Detectives say Fletcher was shot in both the left and right sides of her body. Well, Terry Alice was working at the car garage across the street when she ran in for help. I saw her come running in. She collapsed on the ground, so we just slammed the gate shut and I packed her wound with this towels. He says once they heard police outside, they got her into a car and she was rushed to the hospital. And after she was okay, she just lifted up her hand, so I saw the saw the blood. Meanwhile tonight, more gun violence in the city. That's when a 12-year-old girl was caught in the crossfire in the 1700 block of North Woodstock Street. Police there say at least 32 gunshots were fired on the narrow street, striking the girl in the head. Bullets also flew into a tractor trailer a block away and even into a house under construction. Well, luckily, a good Samaritan rushed the 12-year-old to the hospital, and she's now in stable condition. It's a tragic circumstance. Anytime anyone is shot under any circumstances, certainly a 13-year-old little girl who does not appear to have been involved in any way, but appears to be at this point an innocent bystander. Now, Walter, clearly at this point, the investigation to who was involved with both of these shootings is still under investigation. But police say in the rec center shooting, a 14-year-old boy has been taken into custody. As of right now, it appears there were three gunmen involved in that case. Car putting live, Bob Rooks for Action News at 10. This is some... I don't, I don't know what to say, man. 14 years old. And she leaves behind three boys. She's just doing her job. Just trying to, you know, make a difference. And she gets taken out. If you ever can... Get out the hood. You can't... You you cannot... Make a difference in that place. It's a bunch of savages. I hate to say it like that. But... It's a bunch of savages there. What are you gonna do? 
Those people are animals. They don't care about you. They really don't. That's why people, when they get enough money, they move out of the hood and they go to the burbs. Yeah, you may face racism, but it's not as bad as getting a bullet in your back just for minding your own business from your own people. Let's get into the story with King Charles. Let's get into that. King Charles III vowed to usher the Great Reset following the Queen Elizabeth's death. Queen Elizabeth has been taken off the world stage and everyone who's well-educated on the New World Order knows this is the end of an era, the meaning of a new one. Things are about to get very crazy quick. Queen Elizabeth's corpse is still warm. The son and successor, the man formerly known as Prince Charles, has already vowed to usher in the Great Reset in line with the World Economic Forum's evil agenda. According to Charles, we need a vast military-style campaign to usher in the agenda of the World Economic Forum. Just listen to what has to be said about Prince Charles. Hard Talk Radio, live in 4K. ...has been taken off the world stage. And everyone who's well-educated on the New World Order knows this is the end of an era and the beginning of a new one. Things are about to get very crazy very quick. Queen Elizabeth's corpse is still warm and her son and successor, the man formerly known as Prince Charles, has already vowed to usher in the Great Reset in line with the World Economic Forum's evil agenda. We have a golden opportunity. We have a unique but rapidly shrinking window of opportunity to learn lessons and reset ourselves. According to Charles, we need a vast military-style campaign to usher in the agenda of the WEF. Here we need a vast military-style campaign to marshal the strength of the global private sector with trillions at its disposal, far beyond global GDP and with the greatest respect beyond even the governments of the world's leaders. This should come as no surprise because Charles, a direct descendant of Dracula, has been working towards the implementation of a globalist agenda his entire life. According to NPR, Prince Charles said during a 2011 interview, Transylvania is in my blood. The genealogy shows that I'm descended from Vlad the Impaler. In case you need a quick history refresh, during the 1400s, Vlad III, commonly known as Vlad the Impaler or Vlad Dracula, was the prince of Wallachia, modern-day Romania. According to NBC, his father adopted the last name of Dracul, meaning dragon, which meant Vlad's last name became Dracula, son of the dragon. By all accounts, he was an extremely violent ruler. The genealogy shows that I'm descended from Vlad the Impaler. So I do have a bit of a stake in the country. Britain and the Commonwealth now have a sovereign who is descended from a tyrant who dipped his bread in the blood of his impaled victims. So perhaps it's not surprising that Charles is close friends with Klaus Schwab, who might even be an upgrade on the company Charles is used to keep. Prince Charles was best friends with Britain's most notorious pedophile, Jimmy Savile, regularly hosting him at royal estates and using him as a sounding board for advice. Charles even asked Savile, who wrote, A pedophile for advice? Hundreds of children over the course of decades in the public eye to write an etiquette guide to be followed by the Queen. Arbiter speaking to the Guardian newspaper 
said Savile would seize young secretaries by the arm and then run his lips up to their shoulder. He added if it was summer, his bottom lip would curl out and he would run it up their arms. This was at St. James's Palace and he added that Savile's behaviour was a cause for concern. Reports of Savile's unusual behaviour in rural circles came about as details emerged of a surprise role for him as a counsellor for Prince Charles and Princess Diana during their marital difficulties and a request from Prince Charles to help with the image of Sarah Ferguson. Now that Savile is dead... I can see why uh, Princess Diana did not like him. Hmm. And Charles's brother Andrew isn't allowed to keep company with Jeffrey Epstein any longer. Charles is spending his time rubbing shoulders with young global leaders in the corridors of the World Economic Forum. 2022 is the year of change, with world leaders across the globe being removed or facing assassination, with even the Pope suggesting he is about to stand down while ordering all money to be returned to the Vatican Bank. Any world leaders who are still standing are firmly under the control of the World Economic Forum. Prince Charles can be added to their number. Here, they are making the occult pyramid symbol they are so fond of flashing. The sign is the central bank's control symbol. It is the same as the pyramid on the back of the $1 bill. Here is that same symbol now at the IRS headquarters in Maryland. This is a universal symbol appearing all over the globe and denotes a religion that believes in and worships a god, but not the god. Here it is again, a part of Israel's Supreme Court. The reason those world leaders are flashing that sign and the reason it appears so often across the world is that all governments are controlled by their central bank. All central banks are controlled by the BIS, the central bank of central banks, which is openly calling for a CBDC to enslave the world by allowing the BIS to determine, in real time, how, when, if, and what you can spend your money on. All our analysis on CBDC, in particular for the use of general to the general use, uh, we tend to establish the equivalence with cash. Uh, and there is a huge difference there. Uh, for example, in cash, uh, we don't know, for example, who is using a $100 bill today. We don't know who is using a 1,000 peso bill today. Uh, a key difference in, with the CBDC is that central bank will have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that uh, expression of central bank liability. And also, we will have the technology to enforce that. Those, are, those two issues are extremely important, and that makes a huge difference with respect to what, uh, to what cash is. We are getting close to the top of the pyramid now, but who controls the BIS? Many people say it's the Rothschilds. Maya Amschel Rothschild, the patriarch of the notorious banking clan and founding father of international finance, famously said, permit me to issue and control the money of a nation, and I care not who makes its laws. And Maya Amschel Rothschild's descendants appear to be reveling in that power. Who gets to poke a prince in the chest? Evelyn de Rothschild, direct descendant of Maya Amschel Rothschild, that's who. With their printed imaginary fiat, the central banks control the minds of men and thus all nations. This has been true since their inception and is their raison de trois. The love of money really is the root of all evil. But it gets worse. Those at the top of the pyramid can't leave anything up to chance. 
And so instead of just relying on money to corrupt and control politicians, leaders, musicians, pundits, and anybody with a big audience, and thus a wide reach, they turn to horrific methods of control, like the following, to get those influencers under their thumb. You know, that's one of their most common forms as they start off with, um, you know, different forms of blackmail, and it eventually will evolve to, you know, where they get you drugged or drunk or roofied, and they get a picture of you with a child, and then from there, um, you know, it, it kind of, it's like you, you have a choice, you know, at that point. Are you going to be in the system or are you not? If you're going to be in the system, everything under the sun that you could desire or want is going to be offered to you. If you choose not to be in the system, the threat is death to you and most of all to anybody you love or anything you love. They will start to take away everything and torture you until you decide to give in and be part of the system. Everyone. It's a very pertinent question to ask how do we build back better? To build back better or whatever. We have a chance to reset the clock and build back better than before. To build back better than before. Remember the, the terrible damage of COVID as we try to build back from this. Uh, That's Hillary Clinton. This is Nancy better. Pelosi. Build back Bill Clinton. Building back better. Justin Trudeau. Build back Boris better. Johnson. We're gonna build it back better. Elizabeth build Warren. Barack Obama. Joe Biden. Uh, Bill Gates. I have launched a booklet called Build Back Better, written after coronavirus. It's about building this country back better. Growing conspiracy following it. It is called Marla The Harris. Great Reset. Unprecedented opportunity. Prince Charles. To rethink and reset the ways in which we live. The great opportunity for reset. The theory even calls Mr. Biden's campaign slogan, Build Back Better, a front for the conspiracy. Build Back Better. Prince, Prince back Harry. Better our economy. Build Back Better. All elements of the Great Reset are fundamental to building the future we need. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. Klaus Schwab. This is like a James Bond supervillain. The entire system <laughs> is attacking us with the end goal to kill most of us and corrupt and enslave the rest. Here is Bill Gates getting a good laugh from a TED Talk audience on the subject of climate change when he tells them that one of these numbers is going to have to come down pretty near to zero while the population variable from the CO2 casual equation is on the screen. So let's look at each one of these and see how we can get this down to zero. Uh, probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. Now that's back from high school algebra, but let's, let's take a look. Here he is again, trying to contain his laughter that the next virus will get our attention this time. A few countries that have almost avoided the epidemic entirely, like uh, Taiwan, New Zealand, Australia, you know, they took their experience and actually prepared 
and so they moved a lot faster. Um, so we, you know, we'll have to prepare for the next one. That, you know, I'd say is, uh, will get attention this time. What's occurring could not be more in our faces. You can either accept the fate that they have in store for us, which is coming fast and furious, or resist and respond appropriately. The choice is yours. The sad thing is that people will say, we're gonna rebel, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna fight this, we're gonna we're gonna stand up, we're gonna unite. No you're not. Because as soon as they your stomach starts growling and you realize there's no other way to get food, you're gonna cave in. Human beings have been so conditioned by the past two years to obey and comply. No matter if it just goes against all reason. So there will be some resistance, but it will be crushed. Because people are going to snitch on themselves to feed themselves and feed their families. And to get a nice home and to get a nice shower. People are not used to doing, dealing without for long periods of time. They are not. Okay? It's just not going to happen. So, let's get into the next story. About the Brett Favre scandal. More information about the Brett Favre scandal. Right. Let's turn to some new developments in this Mississippi welfare spending scandal. This has actually been a story that's been percolating really for months now but it's some new development we've got new text messages that were filed in court documents this week and they were reported out by our friends at mississippi today and they reveal that the former mississippi governor bill bryant pushed to get nfl star brett Favre state funds set aside for welfare recipients in order to build a volleyball stadium at the alma mater of Favre and bryant's of the university of southern mississippi earlier this month nbc news reported that Favre had received over a million dollars that were diverted from uh, an account that was supposed to be focused on welfare money since 2017 to make speeches that he never actually delivered. Favre has paid back that money, or at least most of it, not the interest on it, but the, but the, the principal amount of money. But now text between Favre and a nonprofit founder named Nancy New, who is facing charges herself related to millions of dollars of welfare fraud, show that he received help from the governor to request some of that money. In one text to New, this is what Favre wrote, quote, he had said to me just a second ago that he had seen it, but hint, hint, that you need to reword it to get it accepted. New reply, reword, wonder what he means. I'm making a call now to get a little more information from someone on the inside, and we'll get back with you. And then in a text to New from 2019, Bryant admitted to helping Favre directly. Quote, just left Brett Favre. Can we help him with his project? We should meet soon to see how I can make sure we keep your projects on course. Harvard previously denied that he knew about the use of welfare funds for this project, but these texts reveal he was worried about how the funding would look. He then texted New the following, If you were to pay me, is there any way the media can find out where it came from and how much? 
Taylor responded, no, we never had that information publicized, at least until now. Joined now by Anna Wolf, a reporter at Mississippi Today. So, Anna, I, this feels as if, in some ways, Brett Barr, while being at the center, is the shiny metal object on a scandal that is much more nefarious inside of Mississippi government. And it begins with the use of money that was supposed to be for welfare recipients. Walk me through what this money was supposed to do. Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer is an official offer to buy your car. Just enter your vehicle ID information, answer a couple Sure. So this is money from a fund called Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, which most people know as the welfare check. This is cash assistance to very poor families in Mississippi. Um, and, you know, the scandal has been unfolding for uh, over two years. And all along the way, um, you know, when we're uncovering how $77 million was either stolen or misspent, um, the major players in the scheme, namely former Governor Phil Bryant and Brett Favre, have sort of tried to make excuses for their involvement. Um, as you said, Brett Favre says he doesn't know that it was welfare money uh, that he was using for this project. But, you know, the more that we've gotten information that's come out, the more we've been able to piece together that this was an orchestrated scheme to take money from a federal fund that's supposed to serve the poorest residents in the poorest state in the country and use it for whatever they wanted. And correct me if I'm wrong, this was a time when there were, there were more families applying for, for welfare funds, and the state was denying these folks, claiming they didn't have the funds for it? They were making it very hard for families to be eligible for this money. So it was, a, it was an orchestrated attempt to push money away from families by saying, you don't qualify for it, you either make too much money or your family situation is not... Um, is not eligible for this. Um, and by my last count, in Mississippi, a state of 3 million people with the highest poverty rate in the nation, just 200, about 200 adults receive welfare in Mississippi. This is a federal account. This was why the FBI is involved. I assume justice is involved at this point, right? We understand that I think Favre has now has met with the FBI. Um, is it the former governor that has the most on the line here, Phil Bryant? I mean, if this is a misuse of federal funds, we're, we're not talking a fine and a slap on the wrist. We're talking jail time. Right. And we do know that the FBI has been investigating this scandal for the last two years. Um, we do know that... You know, um, Brett Favre is known not to make good decisions. I mean, he got busted with um, texting women, you know, even when he was married... I mean, he's still married, I believe. Um, and he's not that smart. I mean, you have money and you involved in this. And uh, that's pretty crazy, but it's typical. Pretty much. The haves always wanting to have more. The Biden administration just appointed a new U.S. attorney for this area, and he will inherit this inherit this welfare investigation. Um, and so I think the text messages are significant. They show kind of the mindset of the people involved, and they get closer to um, demonstrating how these players really knew what they were doing. 
um, they knew how to tweak the regulations right. and tweak their proposals so that they could use this money in this way that was clearly not how it was intended to be used. Um, the current governor got himself entangled in this story because he seemed to dismiss a was it a, a one of the investigators here? Walk me through that. Right. So the Department of Human Services, this is the agency where the money came from, mm -hmm. uh, filed a civil suit to try to recoup the money back from several people and, and organizations that received this money. I mean, we're talking about $77 million, not, you know, a million to Brett Favre. Um, and uh, in that civil suit, uh, the attorney who was hired wanted to include the volleyball stadium in the suit and wanted to include mm -hmm. the University of Southern Mississippi, uh, but the current governor's office did not let him include the volleyball uh, scheme as part of his complaint, made him take it out. And then over the summer, when he tried to subpoena the Athletic Foundation for communication that would have gotten to the bottom of who was responsible for a scheme to use welfare money in this way, he was abruptly removed from the case. I mean, it, it, it obviously, it screams cover-up. What are they covering up? And I guess that's, that's a question we're all trying to get to the bottom of. Yeah, I mean, these text messages show just how involved the former governor and Brett Favre were in this scheme. And what's important about this particular scheme is that it has already resulted in a criminal conviction for someone else in this case. Mm -hmm. So um, the nonprofit owner that you were talking about, her son actually pleaded guilty to defrauding the government. Mm -hmm. You know, this is serious felony, serious prison time. Uh, for, you know, when he yeah. converted this welfare money to, to, to the volleyball stadium, you know, using a it, trickery, really, right. because they were saying that the volleyball stadium was going to be used by the nonprofit to serve people in poverty, which most people looking at that proposal could tell, yeah. you know, it's it pretty thin. It's kind of a stretch. Let me ask you this. If this happened in Washington, there'd be a congressional committee wanting to investigate. Anything in the Mississippi legislature, is this a welcome them at all? That's a really good question. The Mississippi legislature, I don't think, has held a single committee wow. hearing. Um, they hadn't really passed any legislation to address this issue or to, you know, compel the Department of Human Services to use this money in better ways to help uh, impoverished families. Um, it's really kind of gone uh, unnoticed by, you know, our state leaders. Well, I have to tell you, I think a lot of Mississippi wouldn't know about this at all if it wasn't for Mississippi Today. Uh, I, I'm a subscriber. I hope, folks, if you don't know about it, go look at Mississippi Today. This is an uh, independent news organization um, doing some stuff that isn't being done by enough news organizations on there. Anna Wolf, really appreciate your reporting. Just plain stupidity. I remember watching a, uh, I did a report on athletes that were doing type, this, a type of fraud similar, and it was a medical fraud. He had certain ailments. They didn't have the ailments. They just did this to get money. Like they had a bad tooth, but they took that money and spent it on themselves because they had no other skills outside of basketball. And now a lot of them are doing time. Okay. It's sad. I mean, these people get paid to kick a ball across the field, get tackled or, you know, shoot a hoop from one side of the court to another and they don't think about trying to build up skills so when they can't play the game anymore they could do something else it's sad but these are jocks I'm not saying all are dumb but some of them they really do fit that stereotype
That's basically what I can tell you. That's what I can say. Okay? Alright, and now we're going to be talking about Gavin Newsom. <clears throat> and it is a very interesting thing that he has done. More gruesome stuff. That's all I can say. He, he does villainous stuff. I can tell you that. Got that smile. It's not as villainous as, you know, other smiles I've seen from these uh, crazy people who have charisma and power in the world. But uh, let's get into it. California is demanding more responsibility from social media companies. A bill requiring more transparency passed in August. So it requires companies to post policies on extremism and disinformation and also report data on enforcement. These corporations must also file two reports per year detailing the amount of flagged content and how it dealt with it. Social media companies can face a civil penalty of up to fifteen thousand dollars a day if these rules are violated. Hmm. Disinformation, huh? Is that what you're calling it now, Mr. Newsom? Disinformation? The government is really trying, you know, the left is really trying. I mean the right too. You know, they try they pretend to be virtuous. The left is just being all route, just straight up communist about their dealings with any type of media that they deem to be uh, that they deem to be disinformation or false when it comes to making changes in the Golden State Governor, Ga Governor Gavin Newsom doesn't get tired on Wednesday he announced Bill AB 587 sponsored by Assembly Member Jesse Gabriel is a first of its kind social media transparency measure to protect Californians from hate and disinformation spread online. Reports state the bill will require social media companies to publicly post their policies regarding hate speech, disinformation, harassment, and extremism on their platforms and report data on their enforcement of the policies. California will not stand by as social media is weaponized to spread hate and disinformation that threaten our communities and foundational values as a country, said Governor Newsom. He continued, Californians deserve to know how these platforms are impacting our public discourse, and this action brings much needed transparency and accountability to the policies that shape the social media content we consume every day. I thank Assemblymember Gabriel for championing this important measure to protect Californians from hate, harassment, and lies spread online. You just want to really control what's being said online because for the past two years you guys weren't able to suppress the truth that was coming out about various subjects that's all AB 2273 also prohibits companies that provide online services products or features likely to be accessed by children from using chi a child's personal information this includes collecting, selling, or retaining child's geolocation profiling a child by default and leading or encouraging children to provide personal information 
In addition, the bill also requires that privacy information in terms of service policies and community standards be easily accessible and upheld. It requires responsible tools to help children exercise their privacy rights. The bipartisan legislation strikes a balance that protects kids and ensures that technology companies will have a clear rule of the roads that will allow them to continue to innovate. Okay? Several roommates applauded Governor Newsom for always being ahead of the curve. One commented that he always making moves for California, and another said he should run for pre- oh gosh, run for president. Yeah, he should run for president. Remember that when your loved one is locked up in prison and she's a female, and he decides to let a transformer in the same cell as her. I want you to remember that, since you think so highly of Governor Newsom. Remember that. Okay? The left is doing its job, and people are just praising him and not thinking about the damage that he's doing. Next story. Tell you, man, crime doesn't pay. It doesn't. And people have to understand that, yeah, times get hard, but being stupid and uh, trying to steal, it's not a good thing. It's not a good look. Get into it. It was a wild and deadly early morning on a subway in the Bronx. Four teenagers robbing a subway ride or a gunpoint on a northbound number two train. Cops busted three of them, but a fourth ran away and jumped on the tracks, and that's where he died. Talk about crime doesn't pay. I was here for Martha Solis live at the scene in the West Farm section. Marcus. And Bill, that suspect was pinned between two subway cars, and when he tried to free himself, actually came in contact with a third rail and was killed. Now, this all started with a 911 call about a robbery in place taking place on a train a stop south from here. The 180th Street station is across the street from Transit District 12, and so when the train pulled in here, police were waiting. No train service. Where's was off limits for hours as investigators collected evidence and processed the scene on the elevated tracks. The incident happened before dawn on a northbound number two train. Police were called around 5.30, alerted that a group of armed young males were robbing a 46-year-old man. Officers were waiting when the train pulled into the 180th Street station. According to police, three teenagers, a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old, and 18-year-old were taken into custody. But a fourth tried to get away, running towards a stop train on the middle track. At some point, the suspect slipped or tried to get down onto the tracks, but came into contact with the electrified third rail. He was pronounced dead at the scene. Meantime, the busy station, which is a key transfer point for the number two and five lines, was out of service for the morning rush. 
finally reopening around 11.30. Now, police deployed a taser on one of the teenagers who was taken into custody. He was taken to the hospital in stable condition. Charges against those three teens are pending. The identity and the age of the suspect who was killed has not yet been released. Yeah, people can't feel sorry for him. They can't. Can't feel sorry for him. That's justice. Want to take people off, people's stuff, goodbye. Yeah. This stealing thing, I mean, a lot of people aren't raising their kids right. And somebody, some, somebody lost a child today. Somebody lost a child. And they want to cry. They want to get mad. There ain't nobody to get mad at but yourself. No one told you to do that. At all. No one told you to steal. People have to learn the hard way. That's just how it is. People ain't willing to... Uh, understand you, you can't do that all right life is not a game all the teen degenerate behavior defended in our so-called black community ever notice idiots like Shannon Sharp and his talking points uh, I really don't listen to Shannon Sharp too much unless he actually has something good to say other than that I, I ignore sometimes sports personalities talking because it's usually liberal talking points you don't get a sound reasonable response you know out of their mouths it's the reason why they're entertainers and you can't really Malcolm X talked about entertainers they cannot be taken seriously they're there to play ball you you do make believe on the silver screen that's it when it comes to real life situations keep your mouth shut that's why I like Kirk Russell Kirk Russell talked about it we are entertainers we don't have no business in politics I like Kirk Russell for that he was in uh, Escape from New York only on five, a father is speaking out about a suspected fentanyl overdose that he says nearly killed his daughter and claimed the life of her 15-year-old friend at Bernstein High School. He is detailing what his daughter has told him about that fateful night. KTLA 5's Corrine Winter live now in Hollywood with an interview you'll see only on KTLA 5. Corrine. And Glenn Gregory Wheatley, he says he and his entire family, they are just devastated 
by what happened, including his daughter, who, get this, was next to her best friend when she took her last breath. Now, that teen was just released from the hospital where she was recovering this week from an overdose. Her father shared their tragic story. It hurts me because Melanie, you know, she's like, she's like family to us. Words of heartbreak from a parent who almost lost a child and is grieving the death of another young girl, he said, was like a daughter to him, who perished inside this school on a cold bathroom floor. I'm not sure exactly how they ended up on the bathroom floor uh, for all those hours. Um, it's, 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 anyone's, it's anyone's guess. Greg Wheatley said Tuesday morning at Bernstein High School started like any other, with his daughter Heather and her best friend Melanie Ramos, both 15, excited for the day ahead. They had known each other for years and both transferred to this Hollywood High School a month ago, looking for a fresh start in a new environment. But their lives would be shattered after authorities say around lunchtime a 15-year-old student attending another academy on Bernstein's campus that's independent of LAUSD offered the teens drugs. Whitley said both girls went inside a bathroom and ingested what they thought was Percocet but ended up being counterfeit pills laced with fentanyl. They passed out and spent hours on the floor until his daughter woke up unable to move her legs but she dragged herself outside the bathroom hoping someone would help them. You need to have security no matter what. You know, I don't know whatever that's a big school that's a big campus and uh you know whether it's security or just someone uh in place to assure that you know people are not hanging out in the restrooms to make sure that you know um to be just to be more watchful school personnel eventually spotted heather after a concerned family member arrived at the campus looking for her but melanie never regained consciousness and died at the scene this father said his daughter who was hospitalized for days survived the overdose but is devastated about the loss of her best friend he said enhanced security on campus and more supervision by school leaders may have saved melanie's life he also said his daughter's mother had alerted the principal earlier in the day concerned that they hadn't heard from the 10th grader he said little did they know she was asleep on a bathroom floor unable to hear the intercom announcing her name it's only a matter of time before you know it happens again you know, if it happens to my daughter, it can happen to anyone. It can happen to anyone's child. If I was the father, I would grill them. What are you doing with fentanyl? Who sold it to you? Big Pharma drugs is top killer in the USA. Yeah. How are they getting the fentanyl? That's the problem. How are they getting the fentanyl? And who's selling it to them? I would grill my daughter. Who sold you this fentanyl? That's it. I want to know the name. Who is the name of the person? How long have you been doing fentanyl? That's why it's good to not give your daughters or children, your sons or daughters, privacy. They have no privacy. Look in their phone. They try to act wild, try to give you some lip. You snatch the phone away. You're not getting it back. That's it. I want to see all your contacts. I'll be right here when that phone rings. That's it. Stop. Don't try to be their friend. How did how did it get to that point where they're doing fentanyl? As parents, you just gotta do your job, and they have no privacy. As I said, they treat they they hate you. So what? You're the parent. They're a child. Have you looked into the sack into the Sacklet family? And governor in bed with them as they kill people? Sack family and opioids. No, I didn't look into that.
I didn't look into that at all. But I'll try to. I'll try to get into that. Let's uh, see what the next story is about. Okay. A new twist now in the accusations of corruption targeting L.A. County Supervisor Sheila Kuehl and others. A judge has ordered a story to one part of the investigation. It involves a raid on the offices of the Metropolitan Transportation Authority. This afternoon, KCAL-9's Jeff Nguyen is here with the latest turn in this case. Jeff? So, Susie and Juan, you know, the Sheriff's Department raided six locations on Wednesday. One of them, the headquarters of the MTA. And now a judge says that the investigation there needs to be paused. Investigators searched the office of the Inspector General at the headquarters of the Los Angeles Metropolitan Transportation Authority on Wednesday. Now a judge has ordered the LA County Sheriff's Department to cease searching any and all computers seized from the Metro Inspector General's office until further instruction. The computers were seized during a series of raids. Spoke to Loyola Law Professor Jessica. Let so, okay. Is he basically saying the sheriff's department needs to put a pause on this investigation? I think what he's saying is the sheriff's department needs to pause part of the investigation. The order from Judge William Ryan applies solely to computers that sheriff's investigators took. Metro's office of the Inspector General. Sorry about that technical difficulties at the moment. Investigators took from Metro's office of the Inspector General. Ryan's order doesn't cover materials seized from the homes and offices of LA County Supervisor Sheila Kuehl and Patty Giggins, the head of the nonprofit Peace Over Violence, who's also a member of the Sheriff Civilian Oversight Commission and a close friend of Kuehl's. Kuehl has repeatedly clashed with Sheriff Alex Villanueva. The sheriff has sworn to get his enemies. The sheriff's department says it's public corruption is investigating corruption allegations that Kuehl helped to facilitate a county contract with a nonprofit. Helen Ebwa, the uh that guy I said before he's in he's in charge of that white supremacist uh California sheriff deputy gang that's been killing minorities and protecting um his sheriff deputies who have killed people look into that the uh, the gangs and the LA Sheriff's Department executioners, wayside whiteies, jump out boys, banditos. Nueva has recused himself from the investigation. I think we're just doing our job. Judge Ryan has set the hearing for next week. Demanding he recused himself. He wanted to separate, distance himself from that. Yeah, yeah. Wonder why. Sheriff's Department answer questions about how and why the warrant was secured and why key details were kept from the judge who signed the warrant. 
Supervisor Keel sent a statement that read in part, I am gratified that Judge Ryan acted quickly to halt the search of computers seized at Metro's offices and am hopeful if and when the warrant on my home is reviewed, a judge will recognize how equally baseless it is. For Sheila Kuehl, there are two things that could be true. It could be that she's politically being targeted here, and it could also be that based on the affidavit, there was at least probable cause to search her home. And the Sheriff's Department says that it cannot comment on an active investigation. We reached out to the lawyers for both Kuehl and Giggins, but they have not said if they will pursue legal action. I just smell corruption. That's basically what it is. There's corruption there, and... Well, no. I mean, if the trial is up there, um, we'll figure it out. If there's a trial, I'll cover it. I'll try to cover it, and I'll let you guys know about it. Alright? As we know, with, you know, Nelueva, um, he is a corrupt individual. Alright? And he is, you know, he's a person of suspicion that should not be trusted at all. Should not be trusted at all. Now, here's an outrageous story here. It really is. It's just plain outrageous and it is it, just it, it's ridiculous it's just utterly stupid Let's get into it. This is crazy. This is crazy. She killed the man who abused her. Okay. And she has to pay 150000 to that man's family who abused her? There should be a GoFundMe account and there should be people protesting. Where's Black Lives Matters for this? There should be protesting for this. This is an outrage. This is violence against women. Stable home at the age of 15. She was repeatedly abused by multiple men and fatally stabbed one of them in 2020. She pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter last year. 
her case is again underscoring a serious issue of justice. Hundreds of victims of sexual abuse and trafficking have faced similar legal consequences and even decades in prison for killing their abusers. Joining me now is Centoya Brown Long, herself a survivor of human trafficking. She was convicted of murdering one of her abusers when she was 16 and served 15 years of a life sentence before she was granted clemency in 2019. She's now a criminal justice reform advocate and author of Free Centoya, My Search for Redemption in the American Prison System. Centoya Brown-Long, welcome to the News Hour. Thank you for joining us. There are so many painful parallels between what you endured and what Piper Lewis has endured, the abuse, the legal process that followed. I just have to ask, when you first heard her story, what did you think? Fair use. A story that has unfortunately become all too familiar. A child who was failed um, by agencies early on. She had an abusive home that she was running away from. She was on the streets. Someone took advantage of her, exploited her vulnerabilities. Um, just her needing to survive and whenever she woke up and decided that she wanted to fight back and she wanted to be free she was subject to the justice system so unfortunately that's become the norm in this case her charges were reduced from a first degree murder charge to voluntary manslaughter she has faced 20 years up to prison and as we just said got five years in a residential correctional facility how do you see this Is, is this justice in this case I would not call it um, a complete picture of justice. Obviously, it's a lot better than what many of us had to endure. I was sentenced to life in prison. Um, Thankfully, my sentence was commuted. However, she's still going to have to go to a facility. She is a victim, even though the prosecutors acknowledged that that she was a victim in this situation. Not only is she going to have to serve time in a facility, but over the next five years, anything that she does can trigger her having to serve a 20-year sentence. Um, So she's not truly free. And then there's the fact that she was ordered to pay $150,000 to the family of someone who victimized her. Um, So I wouldn't wouldn't call it justice exactly. Um, However, it is a lot better than what it could have been. You know, that's really saying a lot. And we should point out, too, that the cases, how cases are handled, really depends on which state you live in and where this is all unfolding. There was the Ohio case of Alexis Martin, who was convicted for killing her alleged trafficker back when she was 15. Her sentence was eventually commuted, but then a parole violation got her landed back in prison just this spring. In Wisconsin, there was the case of Crystal Kaiser, which we remember headlines about. She killed her abuser when she was just 17. She is still fighting in court years later to have evidence heard uh, that her abuse is what led to her actions. What do all of these cases, Centoya, what do they tell us about how the laws look at children who are victims of sex trafficking. It tells us we have a long way to go in educating people what it's actually like for someone who's a victim of trafficking, um, the life that they have to live, the things that they have to resort to just to survive. Um, It tells me that even in states where we do have mechanisms in place for prosecutors, for judges to be lenient Um, to look at these individuals as young girls who reacted from a place of trauma and who are in need need of services and not being incarcerated. Um, Sometimes, you know, the people who are involved in these cases don't necessarily see that, that we saw that in the case of Crystal Kaiser. There was an affirmative defense 
on the books, they had a law that said that she should be able to defend herself as saying that what happened to me was a direct cause of being exploited through trafficking. However, the judge decided that he was going to find some loophole and say that didn't apply to her. And on the flip side, in this case with Piper Lewis, we had individuals who saw that she was needed in treatment, but there wasn't really a, a law on the books that could enable her to bypass the criminal justice system altogether and just receive treatment as a victim. So it tells me that we need both of those to be working in tandem. Um, and we, we try to figure it out. We've got a little progress going, especially since I was first incarcerated, but we have quite a bit to do. What about the role of law enforcement in all of this? I know you and your consulting capacity have done some training for law enforcement groups. What do we need to understand about their role in these kinds of cases? So law enforcement, you have to understand nine times out of 10, these are gonna be the first responders in these situations. So they're gonna be responding to these situations. They're gonna be the first person that comes into contact with these individuals. And so they have to have some level of discernment um, to see, well, this is a victim. This is not someone who is a criminal that I need to you know, take to jail, but maybe I need to call in a partner agency who actually works with survivors or maybe even a survivor representative to speak with this young girl and see what we can do for her and how we can help her. And that's a really a big part of it. Yeah, a lot of people, it's sad to say you had some men that were trying to defend the dude that Centoya Brown killed. I mean, my thing was like, what is an adult trying to lead a 15-year-old to his house for sex? Give me a break. Come on now. Okay, it's wrong. Okay, Piper Lewis doesn't deserve to be paying a hundred, have to pay a hundred and fifty thousand to a man who violated her. A lot of these places are backwards, and they are pro um, sex trafficking. They're just not saying it. As before, that there's this idea of there being no perfect victim in all of these cases. When you think about Piper Lewis, what does that mean? What should people understand? I feel that. You know, if we see news stories about, you know, someone getting snatched off the street, kidnapped, it's like a given. Oh, well, let's support this person. Let's rally around this individual. No matter what happens, like this person is a victim. But then you see other young girls who don't get that help early on. And, and the situation just festers. And finally, they feel that if no one is going to come to their rescue, they have to do what they have to do to help themselves. All of a sudden, they're seen as they're not a victim because oh, well, they were promiscuous and they chose to be on the street. Oh, because they ran away from home, you know, we're not going to look at them as a victim. And a lot of times we see young black girls, well, they should have known better. So it's just, you know, there are certain individuals that we don't see as victims, even in awareness initiatives when it comes to trafficking. It always looks the same. It looks as, you know, the victim is this person who's bound by ropes and locked in someone's dungeon. And it's not, you know, the young girl who's living on the streets after having run away from an abusive home. And she's with the older boyfriend because that's the only way that she can survive at the time. As you say, a lot of work to be done and a long way to go. That is Centoya Brown-Long. Sad. Really sad. And the sad thing is, like, you have women and possibly boys 
who don't have the guts to and the courage to stand up and defend yourself against these sick monsters who who violate them. Okay. Let's see here about the uh, judge decision on this case. I playing the video so you could hear. Couldn't find it on where I was looking at. Specifically, voluntary manslaughter and willful injury causing serious injury. Uh, the court has uh, conducted a post sentencing uh, PSI, has allowed you an opportunity to allocute. And after those uh, issues, and after a colloquy with you, Ms. Lewis, I will defer your judgment. You are granted probation on the terms and conditions set forth in the order to follow. Uh, I will impose a civil penalty in the amount of $2,175 for each count. For a fine or, or civil penalty not to exceed four thousand. The sad thing is, this is a uh, this is a black judge giving out this decision. This is Judge Porter. Okay, Judge David Porter sentencing deferred, meaning no jail time, probation for five years, wound facility, and GPS tracking for term. He fears she might return to the lifestyle she left, using that as his reasoning. Okay, just have her monitor. Oh man, have her monitored and give her classes and training. That's what you could do in counseling. $1,350. In imposing a uh, deferred judgment or granting you a deferred judgment and imposing a civil penalty, uh, Ms. Lewis, I will convert those civil penalties uh, to community service. At a rate of seven hundred or seven dollars and twenty-five cent per hour, which is the statutory requirement that requires you to complete six hundred hours of community service. So it's part of the reason why I ask you questions about whether you can follow rules, even though you disagree with them, is that I'm here to tell you the next five years of your life will be full of rules that you will disagree with. I'm sure of it. The plan, consistent with Dr. Kinchurch's recommendations, is that until you reach the age of twenty-five, your life will be highly structured particularly for the next three years, as it relates to the community service hours, you will be obligated to complete 200 hours of community service uh, per year for the next three years. The purpose of that, Ms. Lewis, is that you have a story to tell. If you're willing to tell that story in front of me and the members here in this courtroom, you should be willing and able to tell that story to other young and vulnerable women in our community. And therefore, you're going to give back you're going to give back by way of community service hours to the tune of 200, community, 200 hours community service uh, for the next three years. You're placed on probation for a period not to exceed five years. Uh, you are not eligible for early release from probation. You are, to, you are going to be required to obtain a mental health evaluation to follow any treatment recommendations. You're going to be required to obtain... I mean, I, I, all right, what she's been through, all right, ran away from home, got abused, all right, she doesn't have, um, she doesn't have, you know, that normal upbringing, she comes from a broken home, and she has to learn to follow rules or she's going to be out. 
I still, in a way, feel kind of, maybe, kind of like they're punishing her. I, I feel that way, in a sense. In a sense. I feel like they're punishing Piper Lewis. Officers say that Piper Lewis was 15 when she was stabbed, when she stabbed Brooks to death for taking part in a sex trafficking ring she was forced into. At the time, Lewis was reportedly a runaway who was seeking to escape the abusive life with her adopted mother and was sleeping in the hallways of Des Moines apartments building when a 28-year-old man took her in before forcibly trafficking her to other men for sex. Prior to her sentencing, Piper read a prepared statement to those in the courtroom. My spirit has been burned, but it still gl glows through the flames. Hear me roar, see me glow, and watch me grow. I'm a survivor. She does need to have a mental health check. I do agree with that because she has been through some horrific stuff. And most women who go through that, they are never the same again. That is just the fact. I have known women who have gone through that. They're never the same again. It's very... Sometimes they're not even relationship material. Despite the facts of the case, prosecutors disagreed with Piper being a victim and stated that she did not intend to take the person's life regardless of how she was treated. Okay. I took a person's life. My intentions that day were not just to gob out and take somebody's life. In my mind, I felt that I wasn't safe and I felt that I was in danger, which resulted in the acts. But it doesn't take away from the fact that a crime was committed. Listen, someone someone tries to... Look, I... A person, a young person, is being... Anybody being victimized into the sex trade and they fight to keep... To, to get out of it at the cost of someone else's life. I don't hold that against them at all. You are being raped I do not care what people think that is wrong and a lot of people want to be in their high mind and it's it's really disgusting how people want to try and hold her as a victim I mean hold her as a criminal I'm sorry as a criminal I wish the best for Piper Lewis. I hope that she's able to get the help that she needs because she does need it. She cannot, she needs to have, she does need structure and she does need mental health. She needs a mental health evaluation and she needs therapy. I do not feel sorry for the man who sex trafficked her. That man's family does not deserve that money. You have a monster in the family. You should be saying, you know what? Good riddance. He victimized this poor girl. He's in hell where he belongs. Period. End of discussion. Full stop. If anything, that monster should be family. That monster's family should be saying, we're sorry that happened to you, but justice was served. He'll never harm you again. We wish you the best in this life. That's all I got to say. Alright, um, anything you want to know about this channel is in the description box. Uh, like, share, comment, subscribe if you like the content. Later.